Hello everyone and welcome to daily newspaper analysis which is presented to you by Lawseco. So today we have a lot of articles on our plate. The first two articles are from the Hindu newspaper and the third article is from the Indian Express. So the first article is the election commission of India cannot be a super government. This article talks about the sweeping powers that have been given to the election commission of India and how this can be detrimental for the long run of the election process in the country. The second article is implementing green contracts. So this article talks about the liability and responsibility of not only the producer but also the consumers like us when it comes to the pollution of the environment. And thirdly, the article is from the Indian Express which is titled as why Goa's civil code is not as uniform as it is made out to be. So this talks about applauding the civil code that has been brought by Goa but still highlights some limitations that are there in the civil code. And finally, we have the news in flash call. On this note, let's start a discussion for the first article of the day which talks about the Election Commission of India, its power and scope. Basically, the Election Commission of India is sharply in focus currently due to the ongoing state elections in many states such as Assam and West Bengal. Now, as we know that many a times many extraventions and many kinds of extra powers are used by the political parties of which the Election Commission of India has to take care of. In such a situation, institutes and bodies like the ECI play a very important role in ensuring free and fair elections in the country. So if at all we talk about the power and scope of the Election Commission of India, the Supreme Court in the case of Mohinder Singh Gill versus Chief Election Commissioner in the year 1978 held that Article 324, which provides for the establishment or for the provision of the Election Commission of India, contains plenary powers to ensure free and fair elections vested in the ECR. Now by plenary powers, we mean the powers that are sweeping in nature or that are quite much absolute. Thus, it has to be seen that the powers which are vested to the Election Commission of India for conduction of free and fair elections in the country are very much absolute and thus, this article points out that such powers in the real terms of exercise can lead to real problems in the political setup in the long run. Now, if here we talk about the model code of conduct, basically what model code of conduct is? We should know that it is a set of guidelines for political parties during the elections. Please keep in mind that the model code of conduct is applicable from the day the elections are announced till the day the elections are concluded. So all meanwhile this time period, the model code of conduct must be taken care of and must be adhered to by the political parties. Also, it can be traced to a code of conduct in Kerala which was used back in 1960. Thus, it becomes one of the duties of the Election Commission of India to implement and to make sure that the model code of conduct is being taken care of and is being implemented by the political parties. But if at all, we talk about the enforceability of the code, there is a considerable amount of confusion about the powers available to the ECI in enforcing these. Now what happens is that the constitution of India does not explicitly or does not expressively mention about this power of the ECI to implement the model code of conduct, due to which many a times a lot of confusions are seen in this area. 
So if you talk about the paragraph 16A of the Election Symbols Reservation and Allotment Order of 1968, it allows the Commission to suspend or withdraw the recognition of a recognized political party if it refuses to observe model code of conduct. But if we try to understand this on the legal sustainability, so it is not legally sustainable. That is why the confusion is as per the powers of the Election Commission of India with respect to the implementation of the Model Code of Conduct remains. And if we talk about the transfer of officials, so in the same case of Mohinder Gill, the Supreme Court had held that the Election Commission of India can draw power from Article 324 only when no law exists which governs a particular matter. Now, as we know that we have various other laws like, for example, we have the Representation of People Act and other similar laws which take care of the political parties, the rights of voters and free and fair elections in the country. Thus, in the Mohinder Gill case, it was held that the powers under the Article 324 of the Constitution can be drawn by the Election Commission of India only when no other law exists in a given particular matter. And specifically, if we talk about the transfers of officials, so the transfer of officials is, is govern, in government by Article 309, which cannot be bypassed by ECI under Article 324. Now, here again, the conflicting powers of the Election Commission of India and the other powers of the executive side of the government come at a clash. So if you talk about the administrative moves, the Supreme Court in the case of S. Subramaniam Balaji versus Government of Tamil Nadu in the year 2013 held that the distribution of colour TV, cycles, etc. done or promised by the government is nature of welfare and thus is permissible during the election. Recently, what happened was that the question of the model code of conduct also had come up when the Kerala government was distributing the pre-packs or the packs of food grains, rice, etc., which were important for the survival of various poor households, specifically in the times of the corona pandemic. But this again issue, this whole issue was raised by the opposition parties that the government is trying to woo the people so that in the upcoming elections, the people would vote for the government. And keeping this in mind, this entire thing of model, model code of conduct and also having free and fair elections was inflicted and thus the Kerala government was stopped from doing so. But then again, if we look at this judgment of S. Subramaniam Balaji versus Government of Tamil Nadu of 2013, wherein even the distribution of colour TV, cycles, etc., which was done or promised by the government was considered to be in the nature of welfare and thus was given permission to be done, Let's consider that is it not important that the food grains which are very very important for the basic survival of humans definitely are an important part of the welfare scheme and thus the government should be allowed to do so. And that is why due to these ambiguities many a times there have been problems and there have been gaps in the election processes and throughout the country. With this, let's discuss the second article for the day, which talks about meeting obligations, green contracts. So the increasing concerns about the climate change points to the need for enhanced efforts towards achieving sustainable growth goals in India. Now, as we know that since India is also a signatory of the Paris Agreement of 2015 and is also India is one of the only few countries that is performing excellent to achieve its nationally determined contributions. In such a scenario, it becomes important that we realize that what are the green contracts. So basically, when we talk about the green contracts, it refers to the commercial contracts mandating the parties to cut down greenhouse gas emissions at different stages. 
now what happens is for example a particular thing has to be manufactured in in an industry so there are various levels when many a times the raw material is procured then the processing starts the packaging is done and then further it is given to the wholesalers then they give it to the retailers and then finally they give it to the com- consumers like for the commercial use but in this scenario what happens is that many different layers or many different stages of these manufacturing and distribution things are taken are done so what happens is that in the long run it is not only and only the manufacturer or the owner or the producer that who is causing the emissions rather it is also the consumer who is making such emissions and thus if we talk about a justified approach it becomes important that not only such producer or manufacturer is made liable but also the consumers are made liable to the extent of the emissions done by them and thus it says that the implementation of this green contracts would be that it commences at bidding stage itself so whenever there is any bidding for any industrial process that starts so at that very process the green contracts would come into force so the green tender may prescribe the necessary green qualification to award the contracts now here by green qualification we might mean that for example if at all a tender has to be given to a particular industrialist then maybe some basic norms of let's say maybe discharging the waste water or taking care of the equipments the machines the kinds of emissions the uh, purification of air if it is done or not so these green qualifications shall be taken care of and they shall be definitely seen and brought into notice before giving this green tender to any particular person or industrialist and if we talk about the green qualifications in detail it ranges from using predefined percentage of green energy that how much would the green energy be consumed in the particular process taken by done or taken or done by the particular industry so here the service delivery in adequate on-site waste management as we just discussed or reducing the carbon emissions by certain level etc here there is also a contractual clause which makes the obligations binding and enforceable in the eyes of law so here this is an important step otherwise it would only have become a theory and in the practical sense it would never have been done but since there is a contractual clause which makes these obligations binding and enforceable also in the eyes of law then if we talk about meeting the obligations there are ways to ensure the service providers adhere to their these contractual obligations like firstly they, we can provide for measurement criteria and audit of the performance of the contractor with regard to these obligations that how far has this particular contractor been able to abide by these or fulfill these obligations or secondly make sure that they flow down to all the levels of the supply chain engaged in the delivery of goods and services as we just discussed that the burden of reducing the emissions or paying for such emissions should not only be on the producer alone rather it should be percolated equity equitably till the whole supply chain which is engaged in the delivery of goods and services and thus the degree of effecting a green contract will depend on the type of contract and the industry to which it relates with this let's discuss a final article for the day the last one which talks about goa's civil code now as we know that article 44 of the indian constitution which is a directive principle of state policy provides that the state shall make endeavor to provide a uniform civil code for its citizens on the same goals and on the same line goa as a state has moved farther in this direction so the chief justice of india sharad e bobde recently appreciated the uniform civil code in goa 
This has brought the debate back to the Uniform Civil Code, although the Law Commission in 2018 had concluded that the UCC or the Uniform Civil Code is neither desirable nor feasible. See, basically what happens is that we have the civil laws. For example, in our country, we have various religions, we have various communities and thus we have various set of beliefs. In such a situation, the Hindus have their separate civil law, which is the Hindu law. In that, we have the Hindu Marriage Act, the Hindu Succession Act, Minorities Act, etc. Then we have a separate Muslim law for matter of the Muslims. So similarly, the Uniform Civil Code is a particular code that if it comes into force, then every individual, irrespective of his religion or which caste community he belongs to, he would be governed by a similar or same set of civil laws. Now this, if we talk about in a country like India, in the current situation might not seem to be very feasible because still there are a lot of distinctions specifically in the religious or you know the general uh, the, or the, the intrinsic laws of any particular religion or community. And that is why the Law Commission in 2018 had concluded that the Uniform Civil Code currently, as of now in India, is neither desirable nor feasible. But still, Goa has taken a step forward and has brought its own Uniform Civil Code. So if we talk about the Uniform Civil Code of Goa in detail and what limitations are there. So firstly, let's discuss about the laws related to marriage and property. So Article 1057 of the Goa Code provides for registration of marriages, but it lacks uniformity between Catholic and non-Catholic marriages. So as we know that Goa also is a, is a state which is dominated by the Christian population and still the very purpose of bringing the Uniform Civil Code would have been to bring in uniformity in the marriages etc. But still there, this code lacks uniformity between Catholic and non-Catholic marriages in Goa. Then, the intent of marriage is recorded by would-be spouses before civil registration and after two weeks a marriage deed is signed. Many women are not aware that the Uniform Civil Code requires a second confirmation through signatures. Thus, it is very important that if at all this law has been brought by the Goa government, it needs to make sure that the nitty-gritties and the whereabouts of these laws are percolated and they are circulated to every individual who is concerned with them. Also, the marriages solemnized in churches can be annulled by church tribunals in case of non-consummation of marriage. Then, Article 1204 permits the husband to get a divorce if adultery is committed by the wife. Though, we have to take this in consideration that now, adultery is no more an offence under the section uh, under Indian Penal Code. But still, Article 1204 of the Uniform Civil Code of Goa permits the husband to get a divorce if adultery is committed by the wife. But the wife can get a separation only if the husband commits adultery with public scandal. Now here itself you can see that how this law is dominated and it is pushed towards the male domination or a kind of patriarchy in the society. Wherein, as we can see that the husband can get divorced if wife has committed adultery, but if the same case has been done by the husband, the woman cannot, uh, woman cannot get divorced or the wife cannot get divorced unless the husband has committed adultery with public scandal, which means it, is, it has to be of very severe nature. Then Article 3 of the Decree of Gentile Hindu Usages and Customs of Goa 1880 provides that a Hindu man can take a second wife in the absence of an issue if wife has attained the age of 25 
or has attained 30 years without having a son which is contrary to both IPC as well as the Hindu Marriage Act because in India bigamy is a criminal offence and thus one man cannot have more than two wives or a woman cannot have more than one cannot have one more than one wife and a woman cannot have more than one husband thus only and only one spouse is allowed under the Hindu Marriage Act but this goes completely contrary wherein it allows a Hindu man to have a second wife respected or having some conditions therein then article 1056 terms marriage a perpetual contract between persons of different sex rather a sacrament so it basically defines marriage to be as a contractual one just like it is there in the muslim law rather than a sacrament or a kind of a holy tie as generally is taken care taken uh, by the hindu law also the code provides for prenuptial contracts of four types wherein no communication of properties total separation of assets before and after marriage total total regime wherein the bride's share of father's property is given to husband and the property equally divided on divorce so thus there are a lot of things which actually are giving a hint of patriarchy in the society and thus this uniform civil code has not really been formulated on the grounds of equity So, if we talk about the different states and having different laws, so all Hindus in the country are not governed by one law. The marriages amongst close relatives is prohibited by Hindu Marriage Act, but is considered auspicious in the South. Also, there is no uniformity of personal laws amongst Muslims and Christians either. The Constitution protects the local customs of Nagaland, Meghalaya, and Mizoram. Thus, it can be seen that different states, different communities, and depending upon what kind of population that particular state has, it definitely has different kinds of local laws. And keeping that in mind, it again becomes difficult to imagine a uniform civil code for the entire country at large. With this, let's discuss what do we have for news in flash. Firstly, World Heritage Day. So World Heritage Day is celebrated on April 18th every year which was yesterday also known as the International Day for Monuments and Sites. So this day is aimed at restoring and preserving the diverse culture and heritage that makes the world what it is and even we have to remember that it is one of our fundamental duties to to preserve the monuments. Then theme for 2021 is the complex past diverse futures. Please note that it is also one of the directive principles of state policy to take care of such heritage and monuments of the country second meghalaya records india's first bat with sticky discs so meghalaya has yielded india's first bamboo dwelling bat with sticky discs taking the species count of the flying mammal in the country to 130 so the disc footed bat which is in the scientific terms known as Episcopus denticulus was recorded in the northeastern states Lailad area near the Nong Khailam wildlife sanctuary please keep in mind this can be an important question that where is the Nong Khailam wildlife sanctuary situated so the correct answer would be Meghalaya so it is about 1000 kilometers west of the nearest known habitat in Myanmar thirdly indian railways all set to run the oxygen express so keeping in mind the shortage of oxygen that has been seen in various hospitals due to the corona pandemic the railways will now run the oxygen express over the next few days to transport liquid medical oxygen and oxygen cylinders across the country so amid the spiraling coronavirus cases in the country the demand for medical oxygen in the country has gone through the roof 
this was all for the day we hope it was a good and informative session for you all thank you so much for staying tuned with lossico please subscribe to our channels for such daily updates to come Thank you.